what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the ACAST family. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part three of the Stephen Lawrence story. Arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of his father in 1992 after an investigator would say it was him who deliberately started that fire at his father's home. It is a crime Steve has always maintained from day one that he's innocent of. Three-way calls are strictly prohibited in the violation of MDOC policy. Thank you for using GTL. Hello, Jack. Steve, how are you, my friend? Pretty good. How are you? I'm not too bad, sir. I'm not too bad. What's been happening? Oh, nothing much. Just (laughs) prison life. What was the lockdown situation you mentioned? Was it just a test lockdown or something? They do that every month. Sometimes this new warden, he'll do it three, four times a month sometimes, so... For any particular reason, or just, a little bit just, different. To, just to annoy people? Yeah, basically, yeah. But there's usually something going on, you know, because there's a lot of idiots. In our previous episodes, I have spoken about and in fact played snippets of a TV special report that was done in the early 90s on Inside Edition. It was their top story of the night about how this multi-millionaire grocery tycoon was killed in a tragic house fire, a fire that was set by his own son. But first, our lead story. Steve Lawrence was a rich kid. He lived in the same resort community as his father. But then an arsonist started terrorizing the neighborhood, and before it was over, Steve's dad was dead. Guess who did it? So through today's episode, we will refer back to this report on a number of occasions and its claims that were made and give Steve the opportunity to respond to them. So in our previous episode, we heard how straight after his father's death, Steve's brother, Don, would go out and hire his own private detective in order to look into his father's death. Part of the investigator's job was to allegedly eliminate all of the siblings as suspects. 
However, Steve says he was the only one that was ever looked at. And it wouldn't be long before the PI, Jerry Mattioli, would start to raise what he says were suspicious red flags and behaviours exhibited by Steve. The first being supposedly at the scene of the crime itself. In fact, in the as-mentioned Inside Edition special story on this particular crime, they show some home video shot on the night of the fire. And for a brief moment, you can see Steve by one of the fire trucks. This dramatic video shows Willa's youngest son, Stephen, at the scene of the fire, watching his father's house go up in flames. His father trapped inside. These actions that night would raise suspicions with investigators and drive away. There's a very brief moment where you're caught on video sort of standing in front of a fire truck and, you know, they make claims that you were far too calm for someone whose father was, you know, just been killed in a fire. You know, I always find that a very hard one to sort of demonise because you never really know how someone's going to react to a, to a situation and, you know, everyone's different. What's your sort of response to those sort of suggestions of your, you being so calm about it all? Well, it definitely wasn't a calm evening. It was very, very scary and, and, and shock. I don't know if you can really describe her. I can, but it's like, I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible for my kids to watch. You know, I was worried about them, you know, seeing that and going through that in their life. And it was, uh, there was not a, a, anything being calm or anything. It was total disbelief and, and just, it was terrible. From that night, another claim, which we have already touched on, but is quite an important one, is that it is said Steve would direct fire crews to the wrong window when asked which one was his father's bedroom. The next voice you hear will be the voice of Jerry Mattioli, the private investigator who would be hired by Don Lawrence to look into his father's murder. And he would feature heavily in this Inside Edition news story. When the firefighters arrived, Stephen didn't direct them to, the, to his father's bedroom, as the video shows. The firefighters were, uh, were attending to other parts of the house and not to the side where, the, uh, where Willard Lawrence was located. Steve maintains that he never directed anyone to any window, and it was in fact his own brother Don who would do this and even made notes about it. They, again, as you've already said, they make a big song and dance of the fact that you were to direct them to the wrong window when it came to that, the fire that night. So you say it was actually Don that was directing them, the firefighters, that evening. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Like I say, and during Candy's trial, it was absolutely proven, and I've got, I don't know if you have them, but I have Don's notes where he wrote in longhand there that he directed the firemen to uh, Dad's window. Right, so he's actually written down and said that he directed the firefighters that evening. Yes. Another claim of odd behaviour, supposedly, was that Steve and his family would disappear for a few days after the fire, and they claimed that Steve was out of contact. No one had any idea where they'd gone. Something bizarre happened. A family conference was called to discuss an investigation into the fire. For some reason, Stephen did not show up. But private investigator Jerry Mattioli was present. He was hired by the Lawrence estate to look into the death of Willard Lawrence and eliminate the children as suspects. Steve's absence raised immediate questions. Uh, Steve had absented himself from that meeting 
and uh, didn't tell the family where he was going. He and his wife and children left and didn't return for two or three days They, they talk about this family meeting that was called to discuss an investigation into your, your father's death and they make a point of, or the private investigator makes a point of you not showing up, you didn't tell your family where you were going, you and the kids left and, and didn't return for three or four days. Talk me through that situation. After, and I can't remember, I know it was after the funeral, after my dad's funeral, and my sister Judy, when she was there, went to some psychic, and she was all, of course, we're all, we're all traumatized, it's like that, so when she goes to the psychic, and the psychic said, talked about car bombs, and this isn't over and everything, and I mean, it freaked us out. So, after the funeral was over, my boys and my wife and I, we got in the car, and you know, I didn't want to be in the house anymore, it was so traumatizing, because we were right next door, and, and it was horrible just living there and so anyway we uh we went up north by traverse city and and stayed and the thing is and i know my boys could tell you and candy every morning or every time we got in the car because my sister said that you know the psychic said car bombs i made the kids stay many many feet away and and candy too and i went and turned on the car you know to make sure i mean we were scared to death and when I came back, when we did, and that's when we stopped it, and I was in constant uh, contact with my home, with my family, as far as brothers and stuff like that. And uh, we came back, we went to my brother Don's house, and that's when we met Jerry Mattioli, and, and he frisked me at the door, and uh, then had the tapes, and, and that was part of the trial, too. You know, he, from that minute on, you know, or before, he was out to frame me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So more claims are made about how Steve would react to his father's death. 
apparently more distant and would in fact disappear, as we've spoken about. He was not involved in a lot of the planning to do with his father's funeral, and they would make reference of how he would be more involved with his mother's funeral as opposed to his father's funeral. Steve says it's a simple case of he knew his mother was going to die. His father was a shock. How do you act? I mean, uh, with my mom, you know, she had ALS. We knew she was going to pass away. And and at this point, you know, my dad just died, you know, and my whole world changed. He was, he was, you know, I loved him so much and it just, it changed everything. The the thing is, you know, he was the one, I remember when he called and he was so excited about the, the Porter Cottage being available, so we built our home there and everything right next door, and we got to build our dream home. And he was my contractor, basically, because I was out working and I was on the road traveling, and he was my contractor and helped build our house. And, and say so we had our dream house next door and had a great relationship. And after after that happened, I mean, everything just changed and you know the family made a big deal about when Kenny and I left and, and went up north we didn't want to be in our house anymore it wasn't our dream house anymore it was a, it was just a house so when we went up north and they my brothers and sisters and everybody all said we just went up there and didn't contact I was in constant contact and we with them we brought out cell phone records and stuff like that and constantly calling and talking to them we came back okay of course dad's house fire was on the 20th we came back on the 23rd left on the 21st came back on the 23rd from up uh, northern michigan and uh the first place we stopped was was don's house because i was in contact and he said stop by and when we arrived there mattioli met me at the door and frisked me very well first time i've ever been frisked in my life and then the whole time we were there he recorded everything that we said you know, looking back, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, but that's day one of when Don and Mattioli were targeting me. And were your other siblings there that, that day? No. Right, okay. No, it was just Don and his living girlfriend, Mary Jo, and then Candy and I and our boys. And what what was spoken about? Oh, talking about the fire and ideas and, you know, who could be behind it and like that. And uh, it was like, say, he was... It was just that, you know, and I, I can't remember everything I would imagine, funeral arrangements and, and things like that. I Honestly, I can't remember everything. I, there's a tape of it. I don't know if, if where that's at, but, you know, everything we said was recorded there. A further claim would come that Steve and his wife, Candy, were having financial issues. They had a credit card debt of $20,000. The more we worked on it, the more we could not eliminate Stephen. So Much of the evidence centered on the financial difficulties of Stephen and his wife, Candy, including a $20,000 credit card debt. He was living far beyond his means. He, he liked all the toys, automobiles, uh, jet skis, water skis, snow machines, all of that type of thing. Now, a credit card debt of $20,000 today would, of course, be a high amount, but you wouldn't think worth killing someone to try and clear. In 1992, this, of course, was a lot higher, and in today's money would be closer to around the equivalent of just over $40,000. But as we know, Steve came from a very wealthy family, whose father regularly gifted his children money and even homes. He was often giving them help. So would a credit card debt be motive to kill your father? They talk about you were having financial difficulties, $20,000 credit card debt, 
um, which, I mean, these days doesn't seem a lot, but, you know, back in those days, 20 grand's quite a lot of money. So it's still quite a lot of money, but it's obviously a lot more back then. And they discussed that your dad was tired of always bailing you out of your debt and considered even cutting you out of the will. <laughs> Absolute false. You know, absolutely not true. And, you know, and, and did we have debt? Yes, we, you know, we had some debt. We had, we put everything into our house. We were dumping all kinds of money into that. That was the number one thing. So, I mean, as far as actual cash flow, yeah, we were tight on that. But uh, it, it was it was never a problem. And I think you and I have already discussed, you know, every year to all of us kids, he would donate or give us money all the time. Yeah. And he was going to continue to do that. And the thing is, too, which my brothers and sisters, nobody knew, nobody knew it was Candy and I, is uh, we were also, he owned a lot of property on, a, on M37, and I was over there talking with him and about uh, putting up um, a Taco Bell or Wendy's around Hastings because they didn't have one yet. And uh, his response was, he says, get all the information, get everything, you know, for the franchise, the cost and everything, and then we'll sit down and see what we can't do. And I know I have explained to you, he, my dad and I, we had a very, very close friendship as a father and son. And <clears throat> like probably any father you don't agree with everything we do and you know i probably wouldn't agree with everything that my kids did but the thing is he was he was always there and uh very very close i mean i my brothers never went fishing with him he went fishing my brothers or sisters never went snowmobiling with him we went snowmobiling we were a family and they resented me for that Steve also says that the majority of this debt that was built up on the credit cards was actually done after his father had already passed away. Prior to his death, his father had bought tickets for Steve, his wife and the boys to come and spend some time with him in Florida. Steve's father would pass away before the intended trip took place. However, with all the stress of what had taken place, they wanted to get away, so decided to use the tickets and take the trip with their kids. He was always bugging me and everything because he had bought and airline tickets for Candy and I and the boys to come down in April to spend time at his house down in Florida. And we were all excited about that. And he was super excited. He was always bugging me because it was February, January and February that I hadn't picked up the tickets yet. And I don't know. I, my thought was that's not until April. I wasn't really worried about picking them up. But with the $20,000, so after my father died, we had those tickets. You know, it was still a nightmare. Didn't want to be in our house. And even, you know, afterwards, we put had burglar alarms put in. When we came back from the trip up north, we couldn't sleep. And a friend uh, that had a concealed carry permit, he stayed at our house at night, stayed up all night because we couldn't sleep. We just, we didn't want to be there. But anyway, when we when we went to Florida, we did take the boys and, and went to Florida. And of course, we had anticipated staying at my dad's house. He had a large home there. So at that point in time, we used credit cards. We didn't carry a lot of cash every place we went, you know. And, and uh, you know, we went to, we were at Disney World. We were at Epcot, Universal, Bush Gardens. We went to Key West, Sanibel Island, credit card everywhere. So, and that's what really built up that credit card debt at that point.
As you know, we're looking at claims that were made directly from private investigator Jerry Mattioli from an episode of Inside Edition from the early 90s. And I'm talking through these with Steve to get his responses. Watching this episode without any background information or any prior knowledge of this particular case or story, you would definitely come away thinking, wow, I mean, this guy set fire to his own father's home, as there are so many sensational claims made about Steve. One of the most damning comments, I believe, that was made on the show was this one. Willard made a statement to his children that, at least to one, that if he ever turned up dead, that Stephen probably did it. Which, of course... I took to Steve. Apparently your father said, if I turn up dead one day, Stephen probably did it. Yeah, absolute fabrication and lie. He would never, ever have said that, ever. Never would have happened. So during this part of our conversation, Steve and I would actually be cut off due to his phone time being up. However, the next time he called, it was quite obvious this had been playing on his mind. And he even mentioned that he'd not ever heard about this claim before. Thank you for using GTL. Hi, Jack. How are you, Steve? Yeah, not bad. How are you? Uh, mate, I am not bad at all. It's uh, very humid here today, so uh, I'm trying to stay indoors and try and stay cool. What's uh, the weather like in uh, Michigan at the moment? It's, uh, we set a record today. I think it was 65, but we're supposed to have snow on Thanksgiving, which is next Thursday. Obviously, it's, uh, it's a hard time for everyone inside facilities during, uh, during the holiday season. What's Thanksgiving like in there? Another day. Yeah. And always you pray for a peaceful one. A lot of It violence. used to be special and you'd have a really good meal, but now you just get processed food and crummy meal, basically. Yeah, right. So why did they change that? Just a cost-saving exercise, I assume? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's a shame. You, uh, you gave me a surprise last time. Did I? Is I, I think you were talking about, uh, was it Inside Edition or Current Affair or something that you watched? Yeah, Inside Edition, yeah. That I've never had the opportunity to see, or, and I've heard very, very little about it. And when you were saying, I think you you said Jerry, was he the one they were interviewing? Yeah, he was on there a lot. Mattioli? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was on there a lot. Yeah, and he's the one that said, um, uh, the brother said that, you know, if anything ever happens, it'll be Steve and yeah. Jerry. Well, yeah, he didn't say uh, which brother, he just said one of, one of the siblings said it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I don't know if, if we're into the questions or not, but I Go can guarantee... 100% that was never, ever said by my dad. So were the police talking to you guys much about their investigation into the fire itself? Because it was quite a few months before you got a knock on the door, um, you know, with a suggestion that it might have been you. So was were investigators talking to you? Were the police talking to you guys about what they were looking into? No, not at all. Um, the only information I was getting about anything going on was through Mattioli. Mattioli was... The whole time, you know, I think uh, around the 20, I don't know when he hired him, 20-something, 22nd or 23rd, he hired, hired Mattioli. And Don had a cottage with my dad bought him, which was three houses from ours to the south. And uh, Mattioli was living there and, you know, operating in his investigation on me from, from there. So everything that we were finding out was all Mattioli. And did you speak to your other siblings much during this time? Mm, not, no, not a lot. Um, 
they were around occasionally at uh, my house or Don's house around and, that, and after the funeral the after they came everybody came to candies in our house after the funeral but uh, no not that much so the case against Steve was starting to gain momentum and he says he really began to have serious concerns about what was happening when he would arrive at his brother Don's house be patted down and then would be presented with a very bizarre situation. Jerry Mattioli was living in my brother's cottage, three houses down, and there was a day that went by that, you know, he wasn't down there with me and he kept telling me and telling Candy, your mailbox is filling up, your mailbox is filling up, and they're going to come and get you. And, of course, you know, he was working for the state, and Candy and I were also paying him. If it, we, you know, we thought, you know, he'd be a good private investigator. And, like I say, he kept saying that, and then one day he, uh, he says, hop in, and, he, and we got in the car, and he takes me to Grand Rapids to an attorney's office, and David Dodge, and he came out and... And then uh, I went in, and David Dodge said, you're going to need an attorney, and he wanted a $100,000 uh, retainer. So, and I was, I was freaked out. I couldn't believe it was happening. So the private investigator took you to an attorney. Was he saying to you that, you know, the cops are looking at you for this, you need an attorney? Yeah, he kept telling me that uh, I, he knew I was guilty, and he said, the police know you're guilty, and you need an attorney, and, and he kept saying, your mailbox is filling up, your mailbox is filling up. Come to find out, as time went by, he was the one filling up the mailbox with lies and everything, and I think I already told you that uh, uh, State Police Detective Ron Neal, in court, he said they would have never looked at me or had evidence to arrest me or anything if it wasn't for all the stuff that Jerry Mattioli handed to him and alleged evidence, you know, it was all bullcrap. But what I really knew what was going on, I, I'm very naive, I guess, you know, I've only had traffic tickets and never in problems with the law. Uh, a couple days before we were going to go to Florida, and I'm assuming it was late March, early April, because it was before Easter during spring break for the kids, and uh, I get a, the phone rings and it's Don and he's down at his house or his cottage with Mattioli. And I'll never forget this as long as I live either, Jack is. So I, I walked down there and I, I walked in and Don is sitting in his living room in the middle of the living room in a chair in a black suit. Mattioli's on one side of him and another guy's on the other side, both wearing weapons on their underneath their arm. And Don looked at me and said, I'm not going to be able to take care of your house or watch your house when you're in Florida. He said, we're done. And that's the second I knew that Don and Mattioli were setting me up. I never knew until then. And I'll never forget that. And the only thing I've, I've looked for 31 years, it reminded me of the Godfather movie and so like that when I walked in and saw him sitting in there in that black suit with two armed guys next to him and and telling me that I'll never forget that you know in my whole life let's go to the, the moment that you are arrested for this. How long after the fire and everything did, did the police knock on your door? Uh, they never came to the door. Uh, on April 21st, uh, 
my attorney at that time, I did hire David Dodge. He came out with uh, another attorney, and they said, we got to go in, and the police want to talk to you and Candy. So you chose to go with that lawyer, even though, um, you know, this PI was saying to you, oh, you're guilty, the police are coming for you, you need a lawyer, go with this guy. Wouldn't you be a little bit concerned about going with the attorney that this PI was suggesting? Well, now I would be. I mean, Jack, I thought, you know, we hired this guy. He's supposed to be a, uh, a top private investigator. And I would think, since I'm paying him, he'd be doing things in the best interest for me and trying to help me out. So and when he's I saying to you that you're guilty that and you know, things, things are piling up against you, weren't you saying to him, hold on a second, uh, why, why are you pointing the finger at me? Like, you're supposed to be working for me. Why are you saying I'm the one who's done this? Oh, yeah, I definitely did that. And he just, you know, kept saying, no, the, the police, are, uh, their mailbox is filling up with them, stuff like that. And... Like I say, I was, I was naive. I've never had any problems with the police or anything. I was stupid when it came to legal matters and knowing what's going on. Uh, I got an education quick, and it's cost me 31 years. So the whole time he's coming back to you, sort of reporting back to you, essentially, he's saying, you know, I'm doing my investigation, Steve, and everything so far is pointing to you, I'm afraid. It's, it's pointing to, to you're the one who's done this. Well, no, he never really said that it, it was about... He was pointing at it. He was always saying the police, the police, you know, and all the evidence that they're collecting and got, it's all coming towards me. But it was actually all him. And I never knew that for for 100% fact. I knew that when we I saw him in, in Don's house, you know, inside of him there, that he was involved. But I never knew how much until we got into the preliminary examination and he took the stand. And then I was dumbfounded and so was Candy. So Steve's attorney calls him and tells him that the police would like to speak with him and his wife, Candy. And they make their way, with their attorney, to the police station, where they are both subsequently charged with the murder of Willard Lawrence. On the 21st, when we went into the sheriff's station and the jail, they arrested both Candy and I in charges with first-degree murder, both of us, on April 21st, 1992. Did the police question you that day? No. Not that I remember. I don't, I don't remember any of it. They may have, but I don't remember them questioning me at all after that. They may have, but I just I don't remember it. Right. I'll have to ask Candy because she was in, in jail too. I don't think that they questioned it at all okay. after that. Right. So so they put you in jail. So they arrest you and then they put you in jail. Was there a? Um, did you get a chance to bond out or did they just put you in jail with no bond? Yes, I had no bond. Candy eventually did get out on bond after, I don't know, a week or so, a couple of weeks. She got out on bond, but they never let me out. I've been in here since April 21st, 1992. So, I mean, you're, you're a man who'd never been in trouble with the law before, apart from a few parking tickets or so. So what was that like going to jail for the first time? You know, it must have been a real culture shock. Oh, unbelievable, especially from the life that I was living and had and grown up with and then going to that it was a hell of a shock it's still a shock every day you never get used to it as we know steve makes absolutely no secret of the fact that he believes wholeheartedly that his brother don with the help of former detective turned pi jerry mattioli set him up but why 
Apart from, you know, you, you, you've said that Don, you believe, was a bit jealous of you or, you know, especially when you had your sons and your father was, you know, doting on your sons because obviously you carry on the family name sort of thing and all the rest of it. What, what did he have against you so much to go after you like this? If I don't know. You know, he was like that and, and my guess is, is, I don't know if he's guilty or not. If I knew that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be here today. But... He, he was sure shifting blame very, very quickly. And, I mean, why did Don go to my dad's house when, after my wife and kids had all the lights on, the heat on and everything, and, and turned all the lights off, disabled the fire and burglar alarm when they know he's coming home? It's never, ever happened since they built that house. Yes, you heard that right. On the night that Steve's father would return to his home, Don Lawrence would turn up and switch off all the lights that Candy and the kids had turned on in preparation for Willard's return. And on his way out, would disable the home's burglar alarm and fire alarm. And this isn't just something Steve is saying it's fact. This is something that Don himself would testify to during the trial. next day, not the police, okay, this is a murder investigation, he had the fire department break into my dad's safe, and and we all watched, we were in our house watching, and and when they got that door open, he had uh, hefty plastic bags, he was filling everything up, he was just running, and he'd fill bags up and run down to his cottage, he'd come back, fill another bag up, and run down to his cottage, and then when we tried to get what was in the safe, he refused to turn it over, even with a court order. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we've got time for. But coming up in our next episode, of course, we look into Brother Don just what he got up to the evening of his father's fire. Because there was a huge bell outside there that if they had a fire or something like that would be ringing, plus it would have notified the fire department like that, and none of that happened. And the only way that could have happened is, like say, he went into this closet and disabled it. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.